broadcast. This is your emergency broadcast system. It's time for the hashtag Biz with the Beer podcast. Business as you've never heard before. This is an ACS executive production. Now, belt up and shut up. It's going to be one bumpy flipping ride. May God be with you all. Welcome once again to the podcast that shows no shame, is unapologetic, authentic, and raw. This is the hashtag biz with the beard podcast, business as you've never heard before. I'm your host, the man with the beard, because, well, it pisses guys off that can't grow one. I am Kerfee Smith. There's a touch of madness around here. Now, while you can listen to us on amazing podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and many more, you can also subscribe to future episodes and financially support the show by going to anchor.fm slash bizwithbeard and hit listener support or email me directly to be title sponsor at curfy at acsexec.com. That's spelled C-U-R-P-H-Y at A-C-S-E-X-C dot com. And do not forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, or your YouTube channel. Now, I'm super excited for today's guest because he's a longtime friend, a hustler, and entrepreneur. But before I formally introduce him, I want to make mention of our partnership with Coon Beard Products. Now, you may be asking yourself, how does Curfee have such an awesome beard? Well, I like to think it's just good genetics, but the truth is I use Coon Beard Balm and Beard Oils. Recently, Coon launched a monthly subscription box called the Coon Box. Now, every month you get $60 worth of products delivered for free for only $29 a month. The Coon Box comes with beard oil, beard balm, Coon soap, and other surprises each and every month. Now, as a hashtag biz with beard listener, Coon is going to hook up all of our bearded future bearded listeners by giving you your first month free when you sign up for the Coon Box. I'm going to make them an offer again with you. All you have to do is go to coonbox.com, use the code bizbeard, and you get your free stuff. So, time to get your beard on. Now that I've separated the men from the boys, let's bring on our guests. He currently resides, currently resides in Tornado Alley of the state of Oklahoma. However, wherever he goes, he claims his citizenship to be Hawkeye Nation. In fact, our guest is the godfather of HawkeyeNation.com and former host of the big network show, The Pulse. He was at one time the only third sports director at 1040 WHO History. The first was President Ronald Reagan. He was also the co-host of the highly rated Miller and Dace in the morning program. But sports and journalism is not his only forte. Oh, no. Our guest is also considered to be an expert and leader in the energy industry and provides real-time energy market data and analysis for retail business owners and managers throughout the Midwest and Southeast. In fact, he recently launched the company Flashpoint Energy Partners, where in less than one year, he took his startup from nothing to seven figures. Hashtag biz with the beard listeners. Please welcome founder, owner, entrepreneur, journalist, and sports guru, Mr. John Miller, welcome aboard. Man, John. that just makes me sound real. Makes me sound real old when you say all those things. <laughs> like, what, what, have, what have you done in your life? I mean, I, I, I was one time a beard holder myself. That's what I'm talking about, man. That would have been like five years ago. I know a, that. a friend at work. Yeah, a friend at work said, you know, hey, I'll, I'll pay, I'll pay you 200 bucks if you grow your beard for two months, but I bet you won't do it. And I told my wife, who does not want me to have a beard. Well, and she go. said, well, do I get half of it? And I said, sure. <laughs> so I only grew up for 45 days and it was, it was like Sasquatchian in its uh, glory. So, really? uh, I, but I'm, I'm clean, I'm clean faced now. 
I don't know. I think I remember seeing photos that I thought it was a pretty good beard, if I remember right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm mistaken. Oh, it, it, oh, it was it was immense. That, that's uh, that's just that that doesn't work with uh, with the wife. So uh, oh. I collected my 200 <laughs> and I shaved it off, and uh, well, that, I, I am I sit I I shouldn't shame now. Yeah, no, happy wife, happy life. I get it. And that's the reason I have mine. That's mine right. was because my wife said she liked it. So uh, That's good. Know, that's yeah, good. You, you know when I'm mad at her is because when I when I do shave it off. So <laughs> she knows I did something. <laughs> she says, when you go to work yeah. in the morning, I hear that razor going. I'm like, oh, no, what did I do last night? So, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so I have to come clean because John and I attended the same high school. And, in fact, John is a few years older than I was. Uh, his brother, Jason, was in my class at Princeville, Illinois. Um, John's family moved from West Branch, Iowa, and the funny thing is, I was a kid in this small town in Illinois, town of 1700, and I was a huge Hawkeye fan. In fact, I was the only one in this town that was a Hawkeye fan for the longest time, until the Millers moved into town. So it was nice to have a place and some people to watch games with and cheer the Hawks on. And for a high school kid like yourself, how tough was that to move to a new town, your junior year in high school, uh, especially being such a diehard Hawkeye fan? Well, just relative to the move, it's just it's interesting because you know in West Branch uh, at the end of my junior year football season, um, you know the the team the team that's going to be back the next year they they vote on who the captains will be for the next season, and I was voted one of the captains as oh. well, and you know I'd grown up there from third grade till you know much of my junior year, but then you know we we were going to move to Illinois, and I don't remember being overly upset i'm sure that i was disappointed in some ways because you know a lot of friends there a lot of memories mm-hmm. but i i just there was something in me that looked forward to the challenge which really? i think would you know, be a bit of a harbinger for later in life yeah i mean i well, i did and my go ahead no, no i was gonna say and i know you were there only a short time but you made some lifelong friends there and you know i did you know so tell me how did you fit in so well in such a short amount of time because i mean your bond with these guys um, is just insurmountable. You know, it's just hard to measure, and I, I see it in the way you talk about them. So how did you fit in so well? I think it helped to be an athlete. You know, I'm not saying I was an all-state caliber athlete, but it helped that I was I was okay. Um, and you know, we moved there March of my junior year, so it was like near the end of the year. Basketball season was over. Then I played baseball right away. And got to know some guys that way. And then just that summer playing a lot of pickup basketball behind uh, the grade school over near, mm-hmm. you know, the house that you grew up in. Yeah. Um, and, and guys could see, okay, this guy, this guy can play that sport too. And then, you know, yeah. there, there were some down, there were some downsides to it because some guys were worried I was going to beat them out and, and probably my best, you know, one of my two or three best friends from there. Uh, Steve, I mean, he and I were going to compete at receiver. So he and I had a little, little bit of a, uh, standoffish relationship at first, but then, you know, I started playing and they moved him to tight end and I was receiver. So I I think that really helped, but you know, I'm pretty outgoing, Um, pretty easy to get along with. And, um, I've always been able to make friends well. So I think that helped as well. Yeah. Well, the principal is a great little community and I know West Branch is a a small community too. I'm don't need to bring this off, but, you know, it's, it, again, just recently experienced a horrible tragedy and, you know, especially to one of your friends. But people like you and others in that community always rallied around those families and especially those that are close to you, like this one. And I know they are blessed for your friendship and you'll be there for them. But, you know, as I bring this up because I know you've lived in a lot of places. And mm-hmm. first of all, have you ever seen a small town? Well, 
have you ever seen a small town like this experience so much odd tragedies? Are we just hypersensitive to it? And then maybe, have you ever been part of such a little town that has been so community-oriented? I mean, I think that, like a lot of things, what you're familiar with, we can maybe think that it's unique relative to some of the tragedies that have happened there. Certainly, you're very familiar with that personally. And I, I think that we're just hyper, I think you're right, hypersensitive. We, we, we don't keep up on the news in, in neighboring towns maybe as much as we do ours. But relative to the outpouring of support that I witnessed this weekend, um, I think over 2,000 people came wow. to memorial services uh, for the great young man, Mitchell Jansen, that, that passed away. Um, I've never seen anything like that in my life right. of that magnitude, the sheer numbers. Um, you know, Bradley University, where he played baseball, is going to retire his number. Yeah. Uh, they, they canceled their weekend series for a baseball series. They, they bust two bus loads of athletes out there, the athletic director, the baseball coach. The things that I saw in the very short time I was there this weekend only reinforces to me how important small town America is. Because I've been in a number of small towns, and, and small towns rally around their own mm -hmm. during times like this. But this is a kid who lived his life every minute of every day to the fullest. He lived more in 22 years than most people live in 80. Yeah. And he touched, he touched so many people that this, this town, surrounding towns, people that didn't even know him but had read the memorial post, they wanted to come and pay their respects. Yeah. Uh, it, it, was, it was heartbreaking. But it was beautiful, and it was a great reminder of the fabric that knits us all together socially as a country. That we are not um, not doing we're not good caretakers of that right now. This was a a reinforcement to me on what matters, and what matters is one relationship at a time. We are all the summation of the relationships that we've had in our lives, and the people that have poured love, support into us that's who we are one relationship at a time that's who we'll always be yeah yeah and you know um you know it, it's, it's things like that affect you differently right and you know, like have you may mention you know i've experienced it personally um I, you know i bear witness to it because i live in that town and it's just not my family there's plenty of families and uh that have experienced some right. odd tragedies um and I, I think each one's affected me a little bit differently and it's just now right. recently you know and the, my dad that that really messed me up mm-hmm now, recently, I think I, I, I go back to what you just said. I, I think we just need to check ourselves and you know, start loving without expectation. Um, mm -hmm. Be better, like you said, better caretakers of, of one another. I'm making a concerted effort this year because I was in my business. We're going to get into business here in a bit. You know, I first got into business or I was first getting out of college and you know, getting a great job and just work, working up that corporate ladder was all about making money to me. And just recently, I said, you know, it's not right. about that. I want to do this to help people. I want to do what I do to help people be better leaders, better people, um, help them, you know, make their companies better, not just from a revenue standpoint, but from a holistic standpoint. And, uh, you know, and to do that without expectation. And like you said, just to be better caretakers of each other. And I think if we can do that, um, you know, we'll just be better people as a whole. But No doubt about it. No doubt. Well, hey, I appreciate your openness and thoughts on life and some of your personal thoughts but are you ready to get down to business? Let's do. Let's, Let's do, do it. this, man. All right. Well, I really want to discuss your current entrepreneur endeavor, but the truth is that destination has a path. And I want to talk to you about that. You study communications, radio and television, SIU, Carbondale, go Salukis, right? <laughs> Take me back to that time of your life, because obviously that is a passion for you. 
However, I believe you've always had an entrepreneur bug in you, just kind of looking at your path. Is, is that a fair statement? And what did you want to do originally with your degree? And how do you keep that entrepreneur bug or how did you keep that entrepreneur bug at bay during those times? I mean, it, it's easy to maybe see things in hindsight. It's always it's much easier. And I look back on the entrepreneurial bug and where it started. And, and I trace it back to when I was 13 years old living in West Branch, Iowa, Eastern Iowa, 10 miles from Iowa City, which is where the University of Iowa resides, and being a sports fanatic. And I told my dad at 13, shortly after I realized I probably wasn't going to be able to play in the NBA. I told him <laughs> that when, and for a number of years, he and I would argue about that because I told him that's what I wanted to do. And he was you know, being a realist saying that you won't be able to play there. I said, okay, and I wrote these goals down at 13. I said, when I grow up, I'm going to be the voice of the Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm going to have a national television show on ESPN. And um, those were lofty goals. And, and by voice of the Hawkeyes, I meant the, you know, the color commentator, the person that does the games. And that was my goal for a number of years. And from that point, I, I looked out to see how I could get there. And that led me, okay, I need to get a degree in broadcasting and I need to do this and that. And, you know, my grandma Miller, um, you know, she would often tell me that, that that was probably a bit of an outrageous goal that I had as I continued to pursue it. And it only amplified within me as I got to be 16 and 17 and then looking at colleges. And she's like, John, there, there are only so many jobs in what you want to do. It, there's very few of them. And I said, well, somebody has to get them and I'm going to. And I just, you know, and that's not to say that my grandma and my dad were, were trying to um, limit me. They were just trying to be realistic and maybe protect me from, you know, being emotionally hurt when you wake up one day and you're not those things. But I didn't care. And, and that really began my little career of stacking chips on my shoulder. And being from a small town anyway, I think we all stack our own share of chips. Mm -hmm. Um, cause then you get to college and I get into intramurals at Southern Illinois and these guys from Chicago that played class six, a ball. And I was just class one, a ball. And they thought they were going to be on pipes one and no way would some hayseed hick from a small town, you know, beat them out. Right. And, you know, I, I blew one guy's hamstring out and out and up move. And then, I mean, I was on pipes one, I was one of the best players we had. And so again, I'm stacking chips, stacking yep. chips. And so I went to Southern Illinois and got my degree in, in broadcasting. And, um, and I went to work at a NBC affiliate in Peoria, Illinois, shortly after college. And I got there and I looked around and I'm like, man, I don't, I don't want to go to work at two in the afternoon and get home at 11 at night. Someday I'm going to want a family. Right. And this is not conducive to a family. So in 1995, at the in 94, at the age of 23, I said, okay, I'm not going to do this. So that's when I literally talked my way into managing an outdoor power equipment company with a guy I was playing softball with. And I had no experience in business. I knew how to talk. Um, and instinctively and innately, I, I knew how to sell, even though I didn't understand the, the nuances and closes right. and things like that. So that's, I started managing an outdoor power equipment company at the age of 23. So you bring up a, a couple of good things. One, you know, like you said, I mean, I don't think your your dad or your grandmother, because I mean, they come from a different time, right? And they come from Correct. a time where that, you know, hey, you go get a job, you get the has insurance, right, to provide for the family, and, mm -hmm. and that's and that's mm -hmm. what life is. And I think around, yeah, I think you probably saw it a little bit earlier than other people, because uh, I think a lot of people are doing it now. Uh, probably too many of us um, that there's there can be a different path. And so when did you say to yourself or know that you were going to utilize your degree a little differently 
than originally thought to get back into this into that when you started HawkeyeNation.com. Right. Right. So I, I was working at the outdoor power equipment equipment company in '94. And in 96, I've been there two years. I've been managing. I've been selling. I mean, I essentially got an on-the-job business degree, um, you know, actually doing it, not just reading about it. And the name of the company was Germans Outdoor Power, German being the last name of the owners. And it just started every time I'd drive in there about year two, I'd look up and I'd see Germans, Germans, Germans. And I'm like, how am I ever going to make that Millers, right. Millers, Millers? And I knew that I wouldn't. And that entrepreneur bug, even at the subconscious level, was like, you've got to go do something else. And, you know, at that point in time, a friend reached out to me who was living in Kansas City, somebody I knew from eastern Iowa, where I grew up my younger years. And I was going to go see him. And I asked my dad about the directions because we didn't have GPS back in those days. We had to use maps. And he's like, well, if you're going to be in Kansas City, you should talk to one of my friends that I buy propane from. I'm like, why would I want to do that? <laughs> and he's like, just do it. So I... I did, uncharacteristically, I did. I met with them, got into the energy industry, wholesaling propane in 1996. Within 96 was also the first time that I got online. The internet was still very, very new yeah, at that yeah. point in time. And I found something called a fan forum where people go, they register their name, and they basically talk trash at one another. <laughs> and the, the, big, the Big Ten conference had a forum on its official page, which to me today sounds crazy because forums are the wild west that was unmonitored. Mm -hmm. And I got on there, I think in 96 or 97 and it blew my mind. I was addicted. I was, I was listening yeah. to sports talk radio from 93, 94, 95, listening to the score out of Chicago with Mike North and Dan Jiggets. I'd go on my lunch hour every day. I drive to the top of the hill in Peoria where I could get the best reception. And I would sit there and listen because I just love that <laughs> genre too. So the internet blows my mind and these forms blow my mind. And it's like 1998 now, uh, early 99. And I started to email my opinions on Iowa Hawkeye sports to family and friends. And this was while I was doing my day job, but it was only going up to 30, 40 people. Well, then they would forward it to their family and friends and those people would do the same. And in a matter of six months, my email distribution list went from 30 people to 5,000 people. Wow. And, and I'm doing this at my day job and the IT department says, Hey, what are you sending out so many emails for? So, <laughs> um, but it was also at that same time that a nascent company that had just launched one year earlier called rivals.com reached out to me. Somehow they found me and they said, Hey, we want you to do what you're doing, but on our website and we'll pay you a thousand bucks a month. And I thought that's freaking righteous bucks, man. I got a right. day gig. I got this. So I agreed to, and that was in 1999. And again, the, I think the term blogger also originated in mm -hmm. 1999. I was one of the first 20 to 30 sports bloggers um, that existed because the term wasn't even around. So right. I'm, I'm old school in that regard. So in, in uh, 1999, um, I began writing for superhawkeye.com, which was the Iowa Hawkeye website of the original rivals.com. And that's how I got back into it. It was the internet and seeing that this was a way to communicate and still follow this passion, this dream that I quasi maybe not given up on, but certainly wasn't pursuing the internet to me looked like a pathway to mm -hmm. maybe keep those dreams alive and still reach my goals. 
Well, yeah, I mean, because like I think you you brought it up earlier, how so many of us will sit there and listen to sports talk radio, right? And oh man, I wish I could say this, or I wish I could say that, but you can't. You can try to call in and get in there, but you know, you'll be one of five that do, but there might be like a thousand trying to call in. And this gave mm-hmm. people a voice, and you tapped into that. I mean, HawkeyeNation.com was one of the very first message boards, was it not? I mean, I it's been around a long time. It how long has it been around? Yeah. Yeah, so so I was with SuperHawkeye.com and the Rivals Network, and it was funny because like in November of 2000, it was right after the the Nasdaq crash, the tech crash of 2000. I'd been working with Rivals for about a year, year and a half, but then that crash happened, and all these companies that had gained a ton of venture capital from Silicon Valley uh, at that time, um, they were in trouble. And I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm probably going to want to go on my own one day anyway, because that's how I'm wired. I, I began to become more attuned and aware of who and what I was. And I was an entrepreneur. And I, I went to a URL site and I bought HawkeyeNation.com for nine bucks. <laughs> and the reason why I chose that was because I listened to a lot of sports talk radio, Jim Rome. And he had this, yep. this, this caller that always called into his show that kept saying Raider Nation, Raider Nation, Raider Nation. This guy was just a caller at that time. That guy would later become go on to have his own talk show host. His name is JT the Brick, wow. uh, a decently well-known sports talk show host. Yeah. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do Hawkeye Nation because it also, you know, there's a lot of Native American heritage in, in the Midwest and in Iowa. The term Iowa and Illinois are, are Native American words. I believe Illinois means either beautiful prairie or fire on the prairie. So I, I got Hawkeye Nation. And four months later, I decided I was done with the uh, Rivals Network because it was tanking. And I launched HawkeyeNation.com in, uh, I think it was November or April 14th of 2001. So you're still talking about the nascent stage of sports yeah. blogs, sports websites, still a very early adopter, but even earlier to be an independent site. I mean, the, the, the network model was, was where most of these sites were. So Hawkeye Nation was certainly one of the first independent uh, sports blogs that there was. Well, and the cool thing about it was, like you said, it was one of the very first, right? And it just became a place because people can come voice their opinion, but it also became the place where you can get breaking news. And, and it started just, you know, rolling into other things. And as, as you know, your website started rolling. Um, you know, people are on there. You're starting to set up charters for bowl games, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, so now it's, it's kind of morphed in this whole different type of business model, uh, which is just totally cool. And probably something you never really imagined, but here, here, you, here you go. And then you get the sports director role at 1048 WHO. Sorry about that. I mispronounced that. The cool thing about that was you were the only, the third person ever to have that title. And as May mentioned earlier, one of the predecessors before you was President Ronald Reagan. How surreal was that to know that only two people before you sat in that same chair and being arguably one of the greatest president in history? Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. And the gravity of that at the time was not lost on me. Um, so it was 2001 when I launched Hawkeye Nation. It began to explode. Um, I, I know you'll appreciate this story, so I'm going to tell it. So mm-hmm. April 1st of 2001, I launched HawkeyeNation.com. That fall, September of 2001, um, I I needed to get the word out on my business. I mean, you, anybody could start a website, but people mm-hmm. finding you is a different story. So every morning for Iowa football games, I would get up at 5 in the morning. My brother Jason helped me with this. 
I had printed off a few thousand flyers the night before on one side of the flyer, it had Iowa's football roster. And on the back side, it said, hey, visit this website, HawkeyeNation.com, where we talk about this, this, and this, and this. And I bought a cooler, a drink cooler that had wheels and a handle. And I would pull that cooler across the tailgating parking lots all across Kinnick Stadium. Wow. And I would hand these out one at a time. I would introduce myself to people. Hi, I'm John Miller. HawkeyeNation.com is my website. I think you'd like it. Please visit it one at a time. Kiss literally the, the, the politician kissing, kissing babies, right. you know, and and that's how this was built. And a year later, that turned into a website that 150,000 people a month were visiting. Wow. Um, so so it grew, it exploded. And then, then everybody in the state that had a sports talk radio show was having me on. And then um, we had moved back from Iowa to Kansas City at that juncture. And I told my wife, like, I think we need to move back to Iowa. I think I, I think I can talk my way literally into a sports talk radio show. And this was 2003. And, you know, some people reached out to me that had weekly Iowa Hawkeye, you know, middle of the week shows that talked about the upcoming game, you know, the, the booster clubs. And I would drive from Kansas City to Des Moines to do an hour show for no pay. And then I would drive from Des Moines to Kansas City an hour later. So I was driving six six hour turnarounds for one hour of no pay, paying my own gas just to get the word out there for people to know me. And then the next year, 2004, I did it twice a week. I did it on Wednesdays and then Saturdays because I was able to co-host a call-in show. And I was able to co-host that call-in show with a man named Jim Zobel, who was the second ever sports director mm -hmm. at WHO and who'd been calling games on WHO since the 1940s. This guy was like Harry Carey, Jack Buck to Des Moines, the largest radio signal in the state. So I was going up twice a week on day trips. And then sometimes when there was night games, I would leave Des Moines at 10 p.m. and I'd get tired and I would pull over and I would sleep in a rest area. My wife didn't know where I was. And and she's like, okay, we got to move back. I don't want you to risk your life. Right. So we moved, and I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything set up. I just had the website and the money I was making from that. But I felt if I got back there, I could make it happen. Moved back there in 05. And a year later, I had talked my way into my own sports talk radio show in, uh, in Des Moines. And then the sports director role at WHO came. And um, to be in the same sentence, at least for a little while, with Ronald Reagan and Jim Zabel was something I certainly never would have dreamed about. Well, there's a few things there. You hustle and you did things that people won't do. You know, they want the, they want, they want the job. They want the, you know, I want to own my business. I want to do this. I want to do that. But man, they're not willing to put in the work. They're not willing to sacrifice their lifestyles, their family time to reach that dream. And, and, and man, you did that. I mean, you, <laughs> To carry a cooler pie around Fink buying how many times? I probably you probably know that parking lot better than any. Um, <laughs> uh, and just to do that without pay, because mm -hmm. there's you know you're playing the long game, not the short game, right? And yeah, uh, people just don't see that. And they you know, yep. uh, what, I mean, did a lot of your family and friends question you? It's like, what are you doing, John? Sure, yeah, especially my wife. Like, why are you doing this? We're not getting any money from it. I, I've I've still never taken a vacation where I didn't work. And frankly, I don't think I will because I love what I do. And my, and that doesn't mean that I take time away from my family. I, I certainly, right. you know, I don't, I don't follow the NFL and I love football. The reason why is my Saturdays for the last 20 years have been taken up with college football. Yeah. I wasn't going to take Sundays away from my, my family. Yeah. So, you know, you, you find balance, but yeah, if, if you want what everybody else has then do what everybody else does, but if you want to be different, 
and you want to attain and achieve things that are rare, you need to do things that are rare that other people aren't willing to do. Now, I didn't coin those phrases. They're on posters and Zig Ziglar and Dale right. Carnegie. Yeah. But it's but it's true. If you want to be different, if you want certain things in your life as opposed to the set status quo and working for the man and living this little nine to five life, then you wake up in your 40s and you are regretful. But at that point in time, you may have made choices that have funneled you into that you can't break out of without yeah. being wholly responsible. You need to hustle and you need to do what other people aren't willing to do. And even then, it doesn't mean that you're going to have an easy carefree existence there'll be bumps no. along the way and if there, yeah there, there are going to be bumps but i mean i think you bring up a good point um one being that you know you said you didn't coin the phrases right um and i think and i just it's funny because i heard a quote this morning i thought it was great you know you hear the def you know they said you know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again right mm -hmm. and this guy said the definition of stupidity is, is watching other people succeed and not copying it Right. Mm -hmm. and, yep. and and it made sense. It's like, cause it's out there, right? That there's so many examples and, and he, John Miller, he hustled. You want, you want what John Miller has where he is today, owning his own company. You got to hustle. Um, you want what, you know, any of these guys have, you have to hustle, but they give you the roadmap. You just got to copy it. Are you willing to mm -hmm. do that though? That that's the big difference. Right. This is the will, the desire. And more than anything, it's the consistency. Mm -hmm. Everybody, Everybody can start a blog. There's billions of blogs that have been started. Right. What, but only 1% of them are actively published. And yep. the difference is it's easy to start a blog. It's hard to do something on it every day. Yeah. And if you don't do something on it every day, you'll never build a brand. And if you don't build a brand, you won't build a business. Just yep. won't happen. Well, and again, it's going back to the long. I mean, just think podcast, right? There's like over 900,000 podcasts out there now, but only, I think only 20% of them are active and the 80% oh, yeah. quit after that 20th episode. Ah, oh, man, mm -hmm. this isn't going where I wanted it to go. And then, you know, it should have, it should have took people, off by now. Yeah. People aren't following me. I'm not getting likes. Let me tell you what, if you're going to succeed and you're going to build a brand, you need to be consistent every day when no one is paying attention because there's also a beauty to that. You hone your skill. And you make your mistakes, but you do your reps in relative obscurity so that when the opportunity does arrive after you've been persistent, you've already honed your chops. You don't sound like an idiot and you are prepared for the opportunity because few people are prepared for an opportunity when they don't have experience or they haven't done work. You don't want an opportunity to come too soon and too soon is relative, but you don't want it to come when you're not ready for it. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but you need to embrace and appreciate the season of the grind because that is what is going to prepare you for when real opportunity does present itself. Yeah. Great, great advice. Well, John, let's talk, I'm going to talk about another, uh, experience that you had uh you were then selected in 2010 i think it was to co-host a sports show the pulse on the big network or big Ten yes. network yes so you know tell me about that experience from being hired the show itself and then the cancellation of the show like the disappointment behind that if was there disappointment behind that and what lessons did those experiences give you that you use today yeah so it was the summer of 2010 
and I got a call and, and, and I had done some, uh, a lot of TV work in Des Moines and also in the state of Iowa. I think even Princeville was getting my, uh, Cyhawk talk state of the nation show that I was doing on Mediacom cable. Uh, it was going all across Iowa and then Illinois a little bit too, but so I had done some TV work and I'd obviously trained and prepared for that in college with my degree. And I got a call from the Big Ten. They said, hey, somebody gave us your name and thought you'd be somebody that would be interested and worthy of auditioning for the show. It's going to be an opinion show, the first opinion show in the history of the Big Ten Network. And we want you to come audition. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I want to come audition. And so I did. And I think that there was 40 or 50 um, people that auditioned for that show. And that's a lot of people and resumes that were far better than mine. And um, somehow uh, I got it um, along with a, a former Big Ten athlete. They wanted to link a media guy with an athlete. Yeah. And, and it, was, um, it was awesome. I felt, you know, so if you go back to 13-year-old John, who yeah. told his dad one day he was going to be the voice of the Hawkeyes. Well, I didn't get the radio or TV job. But I was a voice reaching more Iowa fans on a daily basis than anyone ever had in history, Hawkeye Nation. So I'd done that. And I told my dad I was going to get a national TV show one day on ESPN. And the Big Ten Network didn't exist in, you know, 1984 when I was 13. But the Big Ten Network was a national network. It was the most successful startup network in history up to that point in time. And with the day they told me that I got that, I just kind of sat there and like, okay, I did all these things, which is interesting because I don't know that I ever wrote any other dreams down after that, which is important. That's so here I am. Uh, it is, you're 39, you've reached the pinnacle of what you thought the pinnacle was. And now, uh, now you know, 10 years later, I realized that wasn't the pinnacle. It was just a starting point. But at that time, I didn't know what was next. And so did the show. My co-host and I didn't have the greatest chemistry. Uh, he had never done any teleprompter work before, and it was apparent. And after five weeks, and after I had quit my radio job with WHO that provided benefits, because, of course, I was on my way now. I was making 1500 bucks every time I flew to Chicago for a day, and then another $1,000 uh, for my sideline reporting work. And with my website money, I was going to be fine. I was on my way. Nothing could stop me. Uh-oh. Five weeks later, they canceled the show. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and it was three weeks into it that I told them that they needed to change the format to make it more open and more like a talk show. But they said no. They got rid of us at week five. And week six, when they brought new people in, they implemented all the suggestions that I gave them. I was bitter for, I was bitter for a few days. I was embarrassed for a few days. I was humbled. But I wasn't humble, humble enough. Uh I didn't realize at that time that my ego needed an absolute breaking and um, it was coming. It was coming two to three years later. And that was a season of, of pain. Um, so basically after that show was canceled, I kind of scuffled around for a couple of years. And this was also when the um, the economic crash happened a couple mm. of years after that. And it was about 2011, 2012, where that economic crash really hammered the advertising industry. And advertising is how I made money from Hawkeye Nation. Right. But I also, I also had started another business to where I helped other people like me who were website publishers independent 
make more money from their websites. And I basically created a consulting business where I collected a fee if they implemented the things I said. I, I set up all the uh, relationships with the third-party ad vendors. So both of my businesses, all of a sudden, that used to be making, say, 7x, we're now making 1x mm. for the same amount of traffic. And it was at this point in time where I began to make some horrible decisions. Um, I put money on credit cards. I did things like that financially without my wife's knowledge because I had an unhealthy belief in my own ability to get myself out of any problem because I had always done so. But I was doubling and tripling down here. And um, in the spring of 2013, the plates crashed. And I couldn't pull myself out of this one. And I had to come clean with my wife. Uh, it nearly led to a divorce. But um, she forgave me on Easter Sunday of 2013. And we were six figures in debt. And oh, wow. it's, the kind of debt you, it's the kind of debt you really don't want that can't be eliminated in bankruptcy. And I considered bankruptcy for a day and I said, I'm not going to do that. And I'm not saying that if some people choose it, that's, I'm not saying you're a coward or you're doing right. something wrong for me. I just wasn't going to do that. So at that juncture, um, I had to look for a real job, let's just say. And I was broken. I had lost 30 pounds. I was dealing with anxiety and depression that I'd never dealt with in my life. So I was sufficiently humbled. And it was at this time where so many doors were closed in every avenue I was looking except one. And that was to get back into the energy industry, something I said I was never going to do again. I'm never going to work a nine to five again. I'm never going to work in an office again. I don't ever want to have to get up to an alarm clock again. That's all the things I was saying when things were going well. But when I got the opportunity to return into the energy industry, um, at the same pay that I was making when I left it like 10 years earlier, I was so happy, so happy, so thankful for that opportunity right. to get back to something. I, I, at that point in time, my wife had forgiven me. We were six figures in debt. We'd sold our house in Iowa and we made a move to Oklahoma. And that summer we lived in a one bedroom apartment, 500 square feet, me, my wife, and my two daughters. And all of our belongings were stored in storage that summer because the house we were going to get fell through the day we were supposed to close on it. Oh, so we, so we spent a summer in a one bedroom furnished house. I had three pairs of pants and three shirts and my <laughs> brush and stuff because we'd packed for a weekend, not knowing we wouldn't get that stuff. And you know what? It was one of the best summers of my life. My family grew closer together than, uh, than ever. And we had nothing. We, we were beyond nothing, Kirby. We had, we had six figures of debt and nothing. And we were thrilled and we were happy. Wow. And I want to, I want to get into that a little bit more. Um, but I do have to take a break right now. It's just, you know, that time we have to let a few sponsors talk, uh, but don't go anywhere because when we get back, John's going to talk about this and his current company, um, his path back to success, some personal demons he overcame and what the future is in store for John Miller. So we'll be right back.
back to Hashtag Biz with the Beard. This is business as you've never heard before. Oh, God, there he is. With us today is entrepreneur, sports media guru, and owner of Flashpoint Energy Partners, Mr. John Miller. Welcome back, John. Good to be here. Had to get a little water, but I'm, I'm refreshed <laughs> for the home stretch. Good deal. I put a little beard oil in, so we're, we're good to go. Um, <laughs> so you, you were kind of talking about soon after the pulse, you know, you got back in the energy business, moved to Oklahoma, and, and your mindset was just messed up, what you were going through, right? But that summer ended up being one of the best summers you and your family ever had, even though you were six figures in debt, living in this apartment. Tell me what was the next step? How did you get over that? I got over it one day at a time. There yeah. are no shortcuts except for the fortunate few who are members of the lucky sperm club whose family can bail them out. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Frankly, um, you know, I, if, if you would have said, here's the path that you're going to go down, John, here's the pain. Matter of fact, I was talking to someone in the fall of 2012 when I saw the wheels falling off my life. And I thought, you know what? I was talking with them. They were a mentor. And I said, I think I can sell my business and get out of my debts and pay this off. And he's like, John, sometimes the worst thing that could happen to you is that you'll have an easy fix to your problem because you need to be broken. And nobody ever wants to hear that. And no one's going to volunteer for that. And the pain that I went through was almost too much. There was a period very briefly, maybe 10 minutes, where I looked at the bills I had. I looked at having to go to my wife and tell her about all this and come clean and the fears of what it would do to my marriage, where I briefly thought I had a George Bailey moment that I was worth more dead than alive. And very quickly, I was able, fortunately, to get that thought from my head. Some people don't. So I understand the, the dark alleyways that anxiety and depression leads people down. And before that time frame, I never gave much credence to that. I just thought, you know, suck it up, you know, mm-hmm. next day, move forward. But, but anxiety and depression are crippling and it's full of lies and it can lead to dark places. I was fortunate to where I could dismiss those thoughts. So here we were in this apartment. Every day my alarm's going off, man, I got up every day with a bounce in my step. I peeled myself off of that pleather couch that I was sleeping on because my girls were in the, you know, the bedroom and I went to work and I crushed it and I went in every day the best I could. I got there. I didn't, I didn't have a sales territory given to me. They said, Hey, here's a few States where no one's ever been able to sell. Go make cold calls. Yes, sir. Yes, I will. And I did. I hammered it, hammered it, but I did something along the way. I looked around the propane industry and I saw that people were still marketing and selling propane the same way that they had been when I left the industry in 20, 2003 rather. And I got back into it in 2013. So I thought, you know what? I got a lot of history building brands. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of history creating personality. And I'm like, I'm going to build a brand and create a personality for propane, an industry that has none doesn't have personality. Here's your price. How much you want to buy? No, I'm not going to do that. So I started a blog called propanebuzz.com. I did so without the knowledge or permission of my publicly traded employer, because I knew if I would have asked, they would have said no. No. So I was taking the beg for forgiveness, not ask for permission. (laughs) And inside of two years, 
I became one of the highest producing salespeople in the company. And I did so out of a scratch book, meaning there was no book given to me, no book of business given to me. It was from scratch. And my boss pulled me aside at the end of that second sales year as we were talking about bonuses and such. And he's like, how in the world are you doing this? And I said, I'm going to tell you. So I told him about the blog. So that was the first and time they I, found out about the blog, really? Yes. <laughs> because what because what I was doing was that what that blog essentially was, I would go post something on the blog, and then I would send an email out to prospects. And I'd say, hey, I just wrote about what I think is going to happen in the markets this week. Click here to read it. And that click would take them to my blog. Yeah. Well, what I would do is, is I would send that to people weeks and maybe even months before I would ever call them for the first time. So I turned a cold call into a, a cool call, call yeah. or even a warm call yeah, because I learned, I learned about the subconscious power of celebrity. And they felt like they knew me before I ever called them. So when they took their call, I could hear it in the timbre of their voice. It, oh, hey, John, how are you? I instantly knew I had a shot. So that's how I did it. And I told my boss this, and he's like, that's really good, A. B, don't ever do something like this again without my knowledge. Uh, and, and C, he's like, I know what you're doing. You're building a brand so that if anything ever goes south here, you have something you can fall back on. I said, that wasn't the reason why I started it, but that's a byproduct of what I've done. Right. You're right, but I'm happy here. And a couple of years more go by, and here we are to January of 2018. The previous couple of months, the head trader at our company reached out to me and said, I want you to be my number two trader uh, or his right-hand man. And I'm like, yes, I've always wanted to be a trader in energy uh, in addition to the other things I've done. This is what I was building to. Well, our bosses said, we can't afford to lose John in sales. So wow. I had a glass house. And brother, I do not do well with limitations. <laughs> Another Another chip just got stacked on my shoulder. And it was a couple of months later when I asked to take a Thursday and Friday off for a long weekend to fly down to Florida to see my brother-in-law. I said, listen, every time I'm on vacation, I've sold a million gallons of gas. I've made this company um, hundreds of thousands of dollars every time I take a vacation. So can I take these two days off in the middle of winter? I'll still be working. And they gave me a really hard time. And really? that is when it's that well, it's it's not their fault. It's an industry thing. Um, and that's when it that's kind of when I snapped. That was when the last string snapped. I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to start my own consulting business. And at this juncture, this was the best paying job I'd ever had. We're talking about a job that, you know, maybe only three percent of jobs in the United States pay people this much what I was making. It wasn't about the money for me. And oftentimes, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, it's not necessarily about the money. Mm -hmm. It's about the, the, the climb. It's about planting the flag on a mountain. I'm like, I could keep doing this for 15 more years, and I, and, or I could do it for 10 more years and retire at like 55. But that's not how I'm wired. And I'm like, I'm done. So I made a few calls, got a few people to um, invest in the consulting venture I wanted to do. Me and another buddy, meanwhile, had put a white paper together for a business idea to start our own propane wholesale company. We ran it past several mentors of ours in the business that we mm -hmm. could trust. And each one of them, and I even reached out to you at this time talking about uh, I remember you know, funding, yeah. uh, funding ideas. And everyone <laughs> I give you my said, two cents, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone said, uh, John, 
Um, the industry doesn't need another wholesale company. You've got too good of a job. Don't give that up. I wouldn't do it. Another chip went on my shoulder. Right. I'm looking at it right now and I know the guy's name. Um, so I said, okay, thanks for, thanks for the time, but I'm not giving up. So I started my consulting company in June of 2018. And a month after starting that, another person who was a consultant in this industry reached out to me and said, hey, why don't we work together as opposed to working apart? So after a month of due diligence for each other, um, we decided to partner up. And I said, hey, there's one other guy that we need to go get. He works at my old company. Uh, he's a, he is younger. He is a wizard. We have to get him. And um, so we did get him. So this is December of 2018 we agreed to compensate him and that meant for the first we didn't know how long Kirby. we didn't know how long me and the the first partner that reached out to me darris didn't know how long that he and i would have to go without compensation right my estimate was eight months before we could pay ourselves because we had made a financial commitment to a third partner chris because we felt that he was too good to pass up so we both did it so here I was, I, I, I paid off all of my, all that six figure debt that I talked about that we came to Oklahoma right. with. I had that, I had that paid off in four years, our first four years here. So by 2017, all that's paid off. The only debt that I, we paid our cars off. The only debt that we had was our mortgage. And I'd been able to build my savings account back up. So here I am five years after the meltdown, the financial meltdown, the financial infidelity. And I go to my wife and I say, honey, I want to leave this unbelievable job to start my own business. And I don't know when our next paycheck will come. Oh, I, that said, was my I, question sitting in the back of my head this whole time. Yeah. How did you yeah. go to your wife? <laughs> and what was her reaction? So I, you're going to tell me. So go go with it. Yeah, I, I did so confidently without hesitation. And I told her everything. And I'm like, I believe in this with every fiber of my being. And she's like, I believe in you. And I trust you. And I... Can't be, I, I can't begin to tell you how much that means. Yeah. When you have hurt someone, when you have betrayed someone's trust, and they, A, forgive you, but then B, tell you that they believe in you. Again, when you're going back into being an entrepreneur, which is where you got in trouble before, uh, it's, it's one of the most powerful things ever. I felt like there's nothing I can't do. And, but... In this five-year purification process where I was able to get back on my feet, pay my bills off, I learned some valuable lessons. The most important I learned was that John Miller is not a CEO. Hmm. I am not good with QuickBooks. I'm not good at accounting and invoicing. I had money that was owed me in my first businesses, but I would literally get anxiety to have to go in and enter QuickBooks and do accounting, so I didn't even collect it. And I'm like... First thing I need to do is we need to, we need to, I need to partner with people that are strong in areas where I'm weak. I read a book called why you do the things you do. It's based off Hippocrates's four temperament theory. And, uh, you know, people, some people, you know, in today's world, like get into the Enneagram stuff and all that it's similar or a, or a Briggs Myers or whatever that's right. called personality test. I believe in those. I used to, to not believe in crap like that. You don't tell me who I am, what I am. I know who I am, what I am. I know where I'm strong. I know what my strengths are. Sure, we all know what our strengths are. We could all get up for an hour and talk about them. But nobody really ever wants to talk about or I dare say consider what's your blind spots? 
what are your weaknesses? Because those blind spots and weaknesses will be the things that determine if you will be successful as an entrepreneur. And if you're only focusing on the strengths, if you're only over here thinking, well, I'm good at this, so I'm going to go start a business like this, chances are you're going to fail in some area. And that yep. failure could wipe you out. So that Why You Act the Way You Do book by Tim LaHaye, for me, resonated because I instantly said, okay, yeah, I am, uh, the, I am this temperament. This is who I am. This is how I'm wired. I am an extrovert. And and I am this. And these were the typical weaknesses associated with extroverts or and with this uh, sanguine, rather, the sanguine temperament. Here's the weaknesses. That means, well, they're messy. Check. They don't pay great attention to details. Check. They're great starters, but not great finishers. Check. Um <laughs> If if they're if they don't have a strong moral compass, they can cut corners and make decisions that are not healthy. Like me, not telling my wife about the business and hiding that from her. In addition to previously in my life, being an alcoholic and hiding my drinking from her there as well. Check 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 check. I'm like, okay, so I'm going to start a new business, but I'm going to do so with people that are strong in areas where I'm weak. And I'm going to split. The, I don't need the whole pie. John doesn't need to be 100 percent owner. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a third owner of what I think is going to be a much bigger pie. So that's yeah. what we did. And it took exactly eight months of living out of my savings account before, which was my estimate that we would be at a cash flow position to where me and my other partner could pay ourselves the same that we were paying our third partner, which was last August. And. Some things conspired um, with markets, with weather um, that I predicted would happen that last summer. They conspired to come to fruition in November. And we kind of felt like Bubba Gump and Shrimp in Forrest Gump, where Lieutenant Dan and Forrest were out fighting <laughs> the hurricane. And they came back into port, and every other shrimp boat was wrecked, right. except Bubba Gump and Shrimp. And that's what they got, Bubba Gump Shrimp. <laughs> and um, we had gas when others didn't. And um, so it was a really, really successful first year. We're poised to be um, successful in year two. I'm having more fun than I've ever had in my life. But, you know, it's like you wake up one day and you're an overnight success, 30 years in the making. Uh, took a long way to get here. And a lot of painful lessons along the way, a lot of mistakes away along the way, more mistakes than smart decisions. Let's, and um, let's talk about anyway. some of those mistakes and some of their personal demons, right? Uh, and you kind of touched on your personal relationships, and um, and I really appreciate you because I know it's emotional for you, and I know you've been very open about it on social media, and the fact mm -hmm. that you have shared that is brave. How important is it to have someone that is on board with your ideas and aspirations? And tell me you know, it's about some of those demons that you had overcome besides just hiding the decks. I know there's another one there. And, you know, here, I'm just going to throw it out there. I, I don't know. I don't know if you remember this, John. I think it was probably about maybe 10 years ago. Uh, we, we were both back in our small little town at the uh, principal heritage dangers with a little like kind of homecoming for everybody to come back to. Right. And you know, everyone goes up to the beer tent. Right. And mm -hmm. I remember John Miller growing up much like me in a small town guy, you know, on the weekends and, and probably more times than that on the back roads, having beers and, you know, having a good time. And I'm sitting there in this beer tent and I think I was having a really good time. And I look over and you're drinking a non-alcoholic beer. Mm -hmm. And I probably said something really stupid and I apologize if I did. Um, 
but it always stuck out to me. You you would stop drinking. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, so from do you remember really, that conversation? Really, I, I don't, and I'm sorry. Um, no, no, you know, sometimes, stuck, well, that's fine. I mean, it yeah. stuck out to me. It was a it was a it was a turning point for me. Well, I'm glad to hear that um, because you don't have to say things profound to have an impact on people. You just need to live a consistent life and not be a hypocrite. And people are always watching. And not just children, but in your instance, even adults. And I think I do actually recall now because I think you introduced me to someone that night. Um, and I remember that now. Actually, it's just all coming back to me. I remember right where we were standing by one of those old uh, wheelbarrow things. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yep, I remember it. One so of those, uh, wire spools, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. So, yeah, so I was a pretty hard drinker, and um, it culminated to, you know, 2005 when we moved back to West Des Moines where I told my wife that I think if we moved here, I can make something of this talk radio career. I think I could get a talk show. And it was 2006, just months after I'd gotten my own radio show. So I was a big fish in a very small pond. Everybody knew me. I would go out to bars and never have to buy anything. And if I would have kept that life up, I would have wound up making a lot of really horrible mistakes that would have ended my marriage. But thankfully, I didn't. But, um, you know, there's this one weekend where I was doing uh, the call-in show, but this was a pregame call-in show because the game was going to be late. And um, it was a night game, so we didn't start calling shows at midnight. So we did a pregame show. I had it planned out. I'm going to take a cab home. And anyway, I go get obliterated, and I drove home again. And I didn't hit or hurt anyone, thankfully. But I got home. Went in the house, and my wife's been living this life for the first seven years of our marriage. And um, I come in the house. I don't remember this. Um, I laid across the bed, you know, perpendicular, not parallel. My wife's like, what are you doing? You know, who won? I said, I, Iowa won. And she knows that they didn't. They got killed by Ohio State on September 30th, <laughs> 2006. And, um, and then I then went to the uh, guest room, which normally I would always go to the guest room. I would always go to the guest room whenever I had drank too much. And, but at that night I didn't. And, um, the next morning I heard the garage door open and close. My wife went to church without me. She took my three-year-old daughter and she came home from church that afternoon. irate, furious saying that John, I was prepared to leave you and I still might, but my daughter, our, our daughter, Grace, who's now 17, she was three at the time. She handed this coloring to me after I picked her up from kids' church. And it was basically um, a passage from Corinthians that God forgave you, so you must forgive others. And that's what kept her from leaving me right then and there. Now, granted, we had a lot to work through. She was also dealing with her own demons at that time, um, anorexia and bulimia. And but neither one of us wanted to call the other one out on the problem they were facing because we didn't want the light shone on us and our problems. Not a healthy place to be. Yeah. I got down on my knees. I prayed to God and I said, God, you must take this cup from my mouth. I'm not strong enough to do it. And that was October 1st of 2006. That night I went to AA, uh, a place I feared to go because a lot of people in that town knew who I was and I would be embarrassed. Again, the pride thing. Oh, and uh, I went, you. I mean, you're, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I went and there wasn't a judgmental eye in the house. And, um, I've not, I've never had a drink to this day. Um, and, um, yeah, that was, and, and I'd been praying for like a year prior to that. God, please help me to cut back on my drinking, not yeah. quit, but cut back, cut back on my drinking. 
And um, because I didn't know how to live a life without drinking, because everything I did for fun involved alcohol. What a lie that was. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyhow, it it was another lesson I needed to go through. And I'm thankful that um, that my wife didn't leave me. I'm thankful that, you know, for my faith and um, I've not had a drink since and I, I never will because I know that if I drink, I will lose my family and I'm not willing to pay that price. And, but for a lot of people, unfortunately, it's almost not a choice. Once they get in and they're in the grips of addiction, whether it's alcohol, drugs or whatever, they develop this mental, physical dependency that they can't break out from. And that is real. And that is not a weakness on their part. Just because I was able to do it doesn't make me special. It makes me fortunate. And um, so if you know anybody in your lives that's going through something like this, give them grace, but be there for them. Be consistent and let them know that you're there for them and you'll walk with them. Don't judge them because judgment will push you away. But, you know, just be there. Be there with them. Wow. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, John, you're just a man that seems to keep evolving and you're always exploring new opportunities. Do you see that winding down or accelerating in the second half of your life? Accelerating. Um, I don't, you know, I, back in December, I stepped away from sports. Um, I did my last podcast and it was hard to walk. It was hard to walk away from a podcast that was averaging 40,000 downloads. One of the most listened to podcasts in the college sports genre. Um, that's hard. It was hard walking away from a Twitter account that had over 40,000 followers and everything you tweet, hundreds of people react to. That is addicting. It's narcissistic, but it just is what it is. And that was not easy. And I still, you know, now two full months later, it's still there. I suppose at some point in time, I may back, go back to podcasting again. Um, cause I really enjoy the spoken form. Yeah, but I'm having so much fun. And the reason why I stepped away is I needed to focus 100% for this season on, on the energy business and just grind and, and give it all. And it's so much fun. And um, I can't see I, I'm never I don't ever want to retire. Uh, I just don't. I love business. I love building things. You know, maybe I can get to a place where I can help people get their businesses off the ground as far as vision and building. And then, you know, they got to hand that off to somebody else to you know see it through after that. But I don't see slowing down. I mean, I'm 48. I'll be 49 this weekend. What's the point? I mean, what, what do I want to slow down for? So I can amass enough comfort to where I could have a house on in Florida on the water and what? Right. Be by myself and do nothing. Well, forget that. Yeah. I'll play more golf. Don't get me wrong, but uh, <laughs> but there, there's going to be a, a there's going to be a four to five hour a day task oriented role for me as Somehow. long as I am physically able to do something for as long as I live. And I think that's that's key because you love what you do, right? And if you're physically able to do it, why not? Because I think that's what keeps you alive. It keeps you going. Um, mm-hmm. when people just sit there and work their whole lives and then just stop and retire. I mean, who are they at that point? They didn't love what they do, especially yeah. if they didn't love what they do, right? I mean, yeah. I, Stories of so many football coaches. Paul Bryant retires six months later, dead. Joe no Paterno. way, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I'm not, 
Remember no, he, I mean my, my father, right? I mean he, yeah, he was forced to quit farming. It wasn't soon long after that. It just accumulated because he physically wasn't able to do it. Not and it, it didn't kill him. Right, um, it right, really killed him. Yeah. So yeah, I see it all the time. Well, John, yeah, I, so. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, this has been phenomenal. Actually, this is probably one of the best shows. I mean, you're great. I mean, you're good at this. This is your uh, background, so I'm a little intimidated. <laughs> You've probably been critiquing me the whole time. <laughs> so what the hell is Kirby doing? Um, <laughs> but having shows like this where I get to have people on that I've known since my childhood are just extra special to me. And as someone who gets excited about helping businesses create success, it's even more exciting to watch people like you you know, that you've known experience that same success, especially people you know as children. I wish you much love and continued success in the future, bud. Well, I appreciate that. And one last thing I want to say, um, even though right now our business is going well, it could all be gone in a year, could all be gone in two years. And the one thing that my wife and I are on the same page of right now is if it all goes away in a year, yeah, it would suck, A, but B, we look at each other and we say, what's the worst thing can happen? We just move into an apartment again and we rebuild it. You yeah. can't be afraid to fail. And once you have some level of success, and that's all relative, you can't be afraid of losing it because that's when it becomes your identity. And that's when the hard seasons come, you will break. And uh, just be realistic. No, it's, it's life is like business is like life. There's peaks and there's valleys. And when you're in a valley, there's another peak ahead. But when you're in a peak, there's a valley coming. And it may not be a valley with your business. It's like, you know, two months ago, my wife's father died unexpectedly. And two weeks after that, she was diagnosed with melanoma. And here we are having, you know, the month prior in December, we get our financial reports back and we have an unbelievable first year, a, a near miraculous first year. It doesn't happen. But dude, but it puts it there's another... There's another valley ahead, but there's another peak on the other side of that valley, and there's another valley on the other side of that peak. That's what life is. So just know they're coming. Don't don't tie up your identity and your self-worth and your career. Uh, but when when the train goes off the tracks in some way, shape, or form, don't be afraid to get back on a grind because that's what you were made to do. Great advice, Bud. Well, hey, there's one other thing you and I have in common. And we haven't spoken about it. And you and I could probably sit here and go on for days. We haven't really talked about the Hawkeyes. Uh, but you're also a big Star Wars geek like me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, we could probably discuss that at a time. But I, I just got to know, how do you feel the franchise is going? Were you pleased the way the Skywalker saga ended? I know this is totally off the thing, but I have to know. Um, let me, what do you I, think? I find your lack of faith disturbing. I wasn't a fan of the second uh you know what? What's I don't even remember the name of the movie. The The Last Jedi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't a I wasn't a fan of that, although because that I just didn't like what they did with Luke's character. I didn't like you know Mary Poppins Leia. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I I I love science fiction. I love the genre. I love fantasy books. I read. I you know I'm I'm in in the trilogy of some type of book every night before I go to bed, and I've been that way for years. And I've read all the big ones and the great ones. But I thought J.J. came in with what he was given, did a good job. I think if we would have gotten the movie that J.J. actually made before they cut a bunch of stuff out, it could have been one of the best of all time. But anyway, yeah. I'm fine with it. To me, these characters, you know, I was six years old when the first one came out yeah. and I went to the movie. Theater. And so I've 
you know, up until The Last Jedi, spoiler alert, I'd never lived in a life that didn't include Luke Skywalker. So that was kind of kind of hit me. But the biggest, best part to me and why I probably may rate these movies higher than other people is my daughter. My then, um, gosh, let's see, in 2015, she was 13 years old. She finally agreed to watch Star Wars with me. And thankfully, she didn't know what happened in Empire Strikes Back you have when a video Luke and Darth Vader yeah, I have a video out there that's had like, I don't know, 150,000 views worldwide. And I've had over 1,000 replies in languages all across the country. And I said, this is why you don't show your children the Star Wars movies in story order. Right. You need to show it to in release order. And she is a geek like me. Yeah. And, you know, it was at an age and time, 2014, 2015, she was 12, 13. Well, she and I were having a hard time to find things to talk about. Mm-hmm. And... But the Kansas City Royals, I got her in that, and that's we went to games, we watched games together. She'd watch a few innings with me every night, so we connected, and then Star Wars. And she didn't know this until our ride home from this last movie back in December, but I had a recorder in my car. Every time we go watch a Star Wars movie, and I'd hit record, and, I, and we'd talk about the movies for a half hour and our theories and that. And I weaved all of those together and sent her the, the JPEG. Oh. Of course, she cried, and then I cried, and I'm just getting sappy <laughs> at my old age. And uh, so it's it's to me, Star Wars. I agree. Star Wars is all about family. I agree. Yeah. I think so that's why bad. I still love it is the fact that I was five years old, I think, when it came out, maybe six, seven. I can't remember, but the fact that I can still share that with my seven and nine year old now, and it's yeah. and, and, and endured all that time. There's not yep. many other stories out there that can do that, and that's that's what's yep. special to me about it. Yep, I agree. It's good stuff. Like I said, dude, we could keep on talking forever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we do this uh, and, and leave, is there anything you want to plug or share? No, I mean, I doubt there's any uh, propane retailers there, and you know, uh, given certain uh, NFA regulations, I probably ought not to. Just okay. you know, the only thing. I just the only thing I just plug is um, don't don't do the things that the herd does. Do things that the herd is unwilling or afraid to do because that's where the opportunity lies. Really is. Great advice. Way to end it, buddy. Well, John, thank you again for coming on hashtag Biz with the Beard podcast. May the force be with you and go Hawks. Take care. <laughs> so before I sign off, I'll remind everyone to subscribe to the show at anchor.fm slash bizwithbeard. Then share it with your friends on all your lo- uh, social media pages. And don't forget, while you're on Anchor, subscribe. And if you want to feature your business by sponsoring a future episode or help to support the show, all you have to do is hit listener support, and we can feature you or your business at the beginning of the show. Also, remember that all hashtag bizwithbeard listeners, you'll be hooked up by giving with your first month free when you sign up for Coombox from one of our friends at Coom Beer Products. All you have to do is go to coombox.com and use the code bizbeard when you sign up. So there you have it, friends. Another show is in the books, but never fear. The beard will always be here. Until next time, same beard time, same beard channels. Thank you for listening to Hashtag Biz with the Beard. Remember, every genius idea starts with the stroke of a beard. Hey, hashtag biz with beard and bald fans. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It was brought to you by ACS Executives. Let me ask you something. 
as an entrepreneur or business owner, are you tired of struggling with running your business? Do you feel you can drive more revenue, improve your profits, and run more efficiently if you had a little help? Well, you are not alone, and there is a solution for you. Like many small businesses, as the owner, you wear a lot of hats. And why wouldn't you? You started this thing, so you're very careful and particular about it. Well, at ACX Executives, we do a deep dive into your business to help your business grow revenues, improve profits, acquire capital, and run more efficiently. We just don't point out problems. We help you resolve them through our family of companies and the solutions they provide. We share some of the best practices and processes and coach you and your team through them. Our suite of quality products and services will help you get there quickly and smoothly. That's how we ensure your success. So visit us at acsexec.com or call us at 1-800-495-6505 and schedule a free 30-minute consulting assessment. Have a successful day, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald.